This is The Feed on NR92. Hey, welcome to The Feed. My name's Connor. Hey, my name's Chris. And this week we're going to be talking about geek culture. We've got, uh, mainly we'll be talking about the different types of hobbies involved with geek culture. And we've got some special segments lined up for you. Anime, card games, and comic books, to name a few. And then between segments, we've got a few geeky facts for you. But I think we're going to start things off today with the newest thing in town, the barcades. Our friend Sydney went out and put a little something together about the barcades in town. Sydney, can you tell us about what barcades are all about? Barcades provide a way for video game enthusiasts to take their passion to a public setting. So, Connor, what's your favorite video game? I liked Space Invaders. That was dope. And Chris, what about you? Galega, Sydney. From my experience, there's Pinball, there's the old Simpsons game, there's car simulators, there's stuff for everyone. And now there's three different locations in Edmonton, including the Beercade, the Rec Room, and Denizen Hall. The barcade trend has seen a large increase in Edmonton in the last month. In September, two new barcade locations have opened up, giving Edmontonians the opportunity to try different atmospheres. I spoke with Sarah Van Lange, a PR representative for the rec room. They have seen great success following their launch, and she touched on why they expected this success. I was out there a couple of weeks ago, and I spent a few hours playing amusement games. There's something very nostalgic about it, um, and it brings out a playful and uh, playful side in all of us. Gamers are enjoying the opportunity to meet others with similar interests and have a nostalgic night out. A frequent Denizen Hall patron, Kevin Cook, explains why he enjoys going. For me, personally, because like I, I focus when I'm out at one of these places, I focus largely on the games, because... There's a lot in there that they were either old Super Nintendo games or NES games, but they're in these full arcade-style units, which is, it's neat. It, it, for me, it reminds me of sitting in front of my N64 with three friends playing Goldeneye. It's the ability to just sit there and, you know, you, you can beat somebody, and you don't have to say it through a headset. Kevin explains that our generation is their demographic due to the activities we participated in as kids. Like my generation and younger, we're the we're the kids that grew up in like Discovery Zones and Congo Bongos and all these things where it was like you go to one place and you have your basic activity of running around in like giant jungle gym, or you can go and play games, or you can sit there and eat. I like personally, I don't want to go to a dance bar. I like the ability to kind of go into a place and just have a world of options to kind of draw from, which is nice. If you're looking for the chance to play retro games, a barcade might be right up your alley. So yeah, I've been to them myself. I love them. And I'm really excited to try the two new ones that just opened up this past month. Perfect. You know what, Chris? That sounds like a lot of fun. Like something the three of us should go out and try together someday. Um, so I got a geek fact for you lined up here. Geek fact number one, first coin-operated arcade game was released in September 1971. You know, I remember the quarters coming out of my pocket like it was yesterday. Familiar times. Okay, next we have Kelsey, who decided to go out and uh, put something together about a board game cafe right here in Edmonton. Tell us a little bit about that, Kelsey. That's right. Yesterday, I took a little trip down to 124th Street to take 
take a look at the uh, Tabletop Cafe over there, and it's, pr it's a pretty cozy place, really good atmosphere. The word geek is defined as a person who is socially awkward and unpopular, but when you beat your friends at a board game, you're the most popular person in the room. I had the chance to sit down with Brian Flowers at Tabletop Cafe to discuss the popularity of board games in today's society. In the last five to eight years, I'd say, is when it really started to take off with Kickstarter. Uh, so anyone can now make their own game, and uh, that's kind of opened up all these different ideas that people wouldn't have tried before, uh, and just the amount of games that are getting created and purchased is skyrocketing. So uh, it's definitely a much more recent trend, and it's, uh, it's been said the golden age of board gaming will get thrown around a lot as well, uh, which is, I think is totally accurate. Like There's not really any other time that board games have been as popular as they are right now. With all the technology we have today, like video games and other apps, it might be hard to comprehend how board games are so popular, but board games are... So hot right now. I think it's, it's kind of like a pendulum thing, so uh, for the longest time technology has been growing and more people are getting into iPhones, iPads, uh, and it's all digital in your face, uh, and then everyone's heads are down and you're dealing with that, and you're not really interacting with the people around you. So now it's kind of swinging the other way where everyone's rejecting that, and uh, people want to spend more time face-to-face -face with the people they actually came to spend time with. Uh, and board games are very good for that. They're very social, you're directly interacting with someone. You can put it on pause if you want, you can just have a little conversation there. Uh, and it's just flexible and comfortable and fun. There's a board game for everyone, and board game cafes like Tabletop give you an alternative way to have fun and possibly meet new people. It's a pretty spread demographic actually, but the, the majority of it is 20-somethings, uh, early 30-somethings. It's more the younger crowd. Um, there are a lot of families as well. We have wine, we have beer, we have a full espresso machine. Uh, we make all our food in-house, so we have paninis and cookies and carrot cake and all kinds of stuff. Um, and just come and like teach, uh, call them teach me nights, so I'll pick a specific game that I know how to play really well and teach people how to play it. We do have lots of drop-in nights where uh, people are making new friends and just sort of want to come by themselves, meet new people and play games they would have never tried before otherwise. Uh, but they're more kind of pre-planned, so like on certain, on Wednesday nights at the South Side Store. Uh, we have a very a strong drop-in group that just has been running for a long time. Thanks again to Brian Flowers. You can check out Tabletop Cafe on 124th Street or 75th Street. Thanks, Kelsey, for letting us know a little bit about that. Um, tell us a bit more, if you have anything. Well, there's a lot of games that you can just play, and there's also a lot of games that you can buy as well. So it's pretty cool in that aspect. So what's your favorite board game, Connor? Uh, my favorite board game, it's more of a card game, really. It's Dutch Blitz. Oh, oh yeah, I played that once or twice. P pretty good at it. Chris, what about you? Well, I remember playing Risk for ah, quite yes. a few years, Kelsey. Yes, me and my cousins usually play Risk, and it doesn't doesn't end up well. We get mad at each other gets, a lot. It <laughs> gets risky. All right, Chris? Well, we've got a geek fact number two for you. Don't know if you knew, the classic Monopoly board game that you all know about used to cost only two bucks when it first came out. Well, but, of course, you have to account for inflation. More hotels have gone up since then. <laughs> now you're getting a little deeper into geek culture this way, and uh, you're right. Park Place, Boardwalk, we all remember that and what it means uh, with our friend Prusky here. Yeah, so I had a chance to delve a little bit into card gaming as a geek uh, outlet. And my first experience with geek culture, air quote, was a trading card game, Yu-Gi-Oh! 
I played for years and had well over 2,000 cards before they mysteriously disappeared, according to my mom. Jokes on her, though, as I seamlessly transitioned into Magic the Gathering, a card game for older players that has grown in popularity and prosperity since its creation in 1993 by Richard Garfield. Magic was the first trading card game produced and has reached levels previously unheard of. You won't believe what the 2015 world champion made. And now, your champion, winning 50000 US dollars, the 2015 Magic the Gathering world champion from the United States is Seth Manfield. When I think of geek culture, the first thing that jumps out at me is competitive card gaming. Pokemon, Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, and now that I'm older, Magic the Gathering. I sat down with Magic the Gathering fanatic Dylan LaRiche, and he gave some insight for beginner Magic players. Uh, Magic the Gathering is a game where you like build a deck of like monsters and spell cards to use against your opponent trying to eliminate their life. Um, and all you need to start the game is uh, just a tabletop, the deck of cards, and a couple dice. That's all you need. Dylan's favorite part of Magic is the bread and butter of competitive card gaming. My favorite part of the game? Ah, oh, well, that's easy. My favorite part of the game is like when you're doing it, like you're getting intense into the game, and like, you know, you're like going the guy into making a move and he makes it, and then you just like screw him over real hard and just like take him out with like something you've had set up from the start. When asked how much money he'd spent on Magic the Gathering up until this point, Dylan grew quite bashful. Oh man, easily hundreds of dollars, easily. I, I'm ashamed of probably how much I've spent on it. <laughs> so there you have it. Magic the Gathering is a great card game for older geeks and new gamers alike. For a more in-depth view of Magic the Gathering, check out Enter the Battlefield on Netflix. You should definitely check out Enter the Battlefield on Netflix. It's a documentary that follows four of the world's top Magic players throughout the 2014 season as they prepared for the World Championships. Gives you a little bit of an insight to their personal life, sacrifices they've made for this card game, and it also shows you their career totals and prize money, which with some of the numbers getting quite outrageous. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Pruski. Uh, geeky, geeky fact number three. The creators of Magic the Gathering actually wanted to hand out bubblegum with their booster packs when it first came out. Well, look, in my eyes, any new game is a learning opportunity for anyone. Do you have any favorite card games, uh, Chris? You got it. I would really like to do a hand of Go Fish. And you? (laughs) Well, Chris, it's not a classic like Go Fish, but I used to play Yu-Gi-Oh! a lot when I was younger. Well, Connor, we better keep things moving here. Let's talk to Drewby and get a little bit about live-action roleplay, LARPing. Well, now, hold on. Today, I'm not Drewby. I'm Lord Jaegerwood, <laughs> dwarven nobility and powerful cleric. No, I'm kidding, but that is my D&D character, and that's how a lot of people get into LARPing or live-action roleplaying. So I went over to Tall Tale Events and Gaming to cover this topic. So I spoke with Bernadine Schlender and her daughter Maya of Tall Tale, who have been LARPing for nearly four years now, and I asked them to describe to me what exactly LARPing was to them in their own words. So basically we dress up in medieval garb and we fight with foam swords. Uh, We have everything from folks that do not engage in combat whatsoever, that just come out for the weekend and uh, interact with their character um, and other characters. And then we have the down, dirty shield maidens and um, warriors that want to slay everything that comes into town, and and they do so very well. 
It's a lot like Dungeons and Dragons, except instead of rolling a die and determining what your roles are, you're the person making those actions and talking as that character and participating with other people in our games in a fantasy setting for a whole weekend where you sleep, eat, breathe character for over, I think, 36 hours. Now such a niche hobby seems like something that would amount to not much more than a small group of friends meeting up once every couple weeks to play a game and hang out. But the numbers Bernadine gave me actually shocked me. I would say uh, on average we'll see 80 to 120 players. So what keeps so many people coming back, especially when there really is an undeniable social stigma? Personally, I know um, just the sheer enjoyment uh, level. It is very uh, rewarding to escape reality. Um, You also develop uh, huge friendships with people. Uh, The people that you meet are your new family. Uh, You eat, sleep, breathe, and die with them. Um, And that's a pretty awesome experience. And it's also really fun to just put on a Viking garb or put on like a sorcerer's robe and just go out and cast spells or fight with a sword and shield and take a break from normal life and the daily stresses of, oh, I gotta go to work nine to five. You're stepping into this fantasy world and you don't know what to expect or what's coming up next. Yeah, the unknown. Real life is a lot of um, papers and paperwork and very structured life. It's something new that I definitely would not in a hundred million years experience in my real life. It was truly a pleasure to talk with Bernadine and Maya, and if you're interested at all, you can find out pretty much everything you need to know about local LARPing at TallTale gaming.com yeah it was uh it was actually really cool to go into that store there i walked around for a minute before i started talking with them and they had so much stuff in there they had like real leather armor they had chain mail set up they had metal helms and uh the foam weapons they were talking about they're not like your nerf things they have a steel bar in the center of them that's surrounded by foam so they have a lot of weight to them and they look realistic uh they have like Fake ears you can put on if you want to roleplay as an elf character or a dwarf nose. All kinds of stuff. It was honestly really, really cool to see, and I definitely recommend checking it out. Jeez, just so like your everyday average wear type of thing. You know? Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I do here and there. Uh, Chris, I think that you should design a bit of a character for yourself so that you can try LARPing one day. Well, you know what's interesting? When I used to uh, play Touching Back into the D&D, I used to have a Drow Elf Cavalier in the, re- in the Forgotten Realms game world. Uh-oh. And so that was something I kept for a number of years and picked up from time to time. Yet, um, something else, looking to develop a character, uh, well, a mysterious sage <laughs> and playing that out to a deeper place, Connor. <laughs> what in the world is a mysterious sage? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Connor. <laughs> a mysterious sage is a character that only shows up part-time here, like in a classroom, and only contributes when he has a timely word to share. He lives on another plane and is sometimes present here to offer counsel. <laughs> Chris, you continue to amaze me. Well, Connor... Talking about that, I would like to take a look at the mysterious world of comics. Now, Connor, you've been avid into comic collecting for, well, for ages now, isn't that right? Yeah, that's right, Chris. Uh, I've been reading comics now since I was in junior high. I've read a little over 1,800 comics, and here you've brought an older Fantastic Four comic from uh, 1984 into the studio with us, and... 
back then, comics only cost a dollar, which is a four-finger discount from what I pay now. Only a dollar? Only a dollar. I pay five dollars. However, comics weren't always quite as popular as nowadays. Today we're going to talk a bit about comic book culture and how it's become so popular in recent years. Now, comic books have always had staple characters from their biggest publishers, DC and Marvel, like Batman or Spider-Man that have been recognized by the general public for decades now. But over the past eight years specifically, other characters that didn't previously hold significance outside of comic shops have started coming into the spotlight. This in large part can be credited to Marvel's first movie that was part of their cinematic universe, Iron Man with Robert Downey Jr., which tumbled into Marvel making movies for Captain America, the Hulk, Thor, and eventually the Avengers as a whole, turning them into the strong and memorable characters that we know today both off and on screen. I told you I don't want to join your super secret boy band. (laughs) No, no, no. DC combated Marvel's cinematic universe by starting one of their own, starring their staple characters, Batman and Superman that will eventually accumulate to the release of the Justice League movie. Comics saw an increase in sales following the release of each film, but after the release of The Avengers, sales skyrocketed. In the years before, DC managed to keep up with Marvel's increase in popularity by announcing a rebooted comic universe with 52 new series titled The New 52, and so Marvel launched its initiative, Marvel Now!, which created jumping on points for new readers by starting a new chapter in their characters' lives and putting their titles back to a first issue. Since then, Marvel and DC have both adapted a new format in the comic industry where they release a new wave of number ones every one to two years in the late summer, early fall season, making it possible for new readers to enjoy comics without feeling weighed down by characters' history. DC is currently in the middle of their most recent initiative, DC Rebirth, while Marvel will be revamping things with another line of Marvel Now titles coming this October. If you're interested in getting into comic books, uh, some of the best series out right now are Vision, with the Vision in a horror story family setting in the suburbs, Doctor Strange starring a depowered version of the Sorcerer Supreme, Spider-Man starring Miles Morales, a young Hispanic boy with spider powers, and Old Man Logan, which explores a version of the Wolverine who has aged into a uh, Clint Eastwood-type old man. Man, that sounds neat, Connor. Geeky fact number five. Marvel's famous character, Wolverine, was actually born and raised right here in Edmonton with the name James Howlett. Well, yes, but that was before he lost his mind and ran away to BC. But that's a whole other story for another day. What I want to focus on right now is Marvel's newest addition to their cinematic universe, Luke Cage. That's right. This show explores the struggle of an ex-gangster in Harlem who attempts to clean up his neighborhood by driving gangsters out of Hell's Kitchen. Luke Cage premiered today on Netflix, and I already promised my girlfriend I'd watch it with her. But we're going to let you guys listen to a bit of the trailer before so that you can get hyped for it. Still not sure what I am. I'm just living my life, day to day. You should be out there helping people. You think I asked for any of this? I was put in some tank like an exotic fish. Came out with abilities. I just want to be left the hell alone. Well, that would be a waste. Harlem. 
perpetual symbol of hope and prosperity. Too much happens in the shadows. People fear what they can't see. This place is our reputation, our legacy, our blood. Made every businessman squeeze them hard. Everybody wants to be the king. Alright, before the commercials, we played you a clip from the trailer for the new Netflix and Marvel show, Luke Cage, which brings us to geeky fact number seven. Famous actor Nicolas Cage took the last name Cage because he was such a fan of the Luke Cage comics. His real name is Nicholas Coppola. But moving on to bigger and brighter things, Chris, you have something prepared for us today about cosplay? Yes, I do. Cosplay? Well, what started as a subculture ended up evolving into mainstream reality over the last decade, more or less. It's incredible, when you look at it this way, how many genres we have, and also the amount of money that's involved in all of this, Connor. This is Chris for NR92's The Feed, and I'm here with Ethan at Warp One Comics on White Avenue, and we're just speaking to Ethan. So uh, is cosplay quite popular now? Is it something that is growing? How long has cosplay been around anyways? The early 70s, because of like the Star Wars conventions and all that. It's gotten way bigger over the years. Now, we've noticed a lot of people with uniforms dressing up on the streets and everything. I, I know I haven't seen this like I did in earlier years, but what what is the draw? What's the draw with cosplay for many people, Ethan? Kind of escape yourself to be someone else. It's fun to like pick a character and like act like them. And so, is there any commercial value in this? Like costume makers, people doing promotionals this way, something you could tell our listeners about? Oh yeah, um, a lot of uh, companies have started selling like costume uh, products, uh, face makeups. Um, I know of a personal few people that actually. As a living, they actually make costumes for people for commission. So is this something more than, we're talking more than just a couple hours a week? It's more of a serious deal than just a touch of side work? Oh, 100%. I know of one girl, um, I know her informally, but like, um, she does this year-round 24-7. Wow, well, thank you very much, Ethan. We really appreciate your feedback and uh, broadening the picture for our listeners on the cosplay world and uh, the kind of big draw that it can be. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Um, so let's chase that up. Geek fact number eight. Although cosplay and LARPing are generally lumped together, they are actually two very different things. In cosplay, you identify as a pre-existing character, while with LARPing, you can create your own character to portray. Right. Well, basically, in our next segment, which is a bit more well-rounded, Jim, why don't you tell us a bit about what you did? Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, Hey, Connor, you like to juggle, correct? Oh, I love it. Chris, how about you? What piques your interest when you've got some spare time? 
Well, I uh, do a lot of reading and I like travel, so I spend a lot of time reading Lonely Planet travel books. You see, that's awesome. And I consider myself a video game historian. It's a costly hobby, but the wealth of knowledge and anecdotes gives me a sense of peace and satisfaction. See, there's more to hobbies than just liking music and TV. It's fascinating how varied and creative the students at Nate are. It's what makes us unique and special. We've all asked the question, whether it's to coworkers or classmates, even dating websites, what do you do for fun? There are the usual answers. I watch movies, play games, go camping. But underneath those, there's a whole world of variety. So I went around asking people about lesser known hobbies that keep them ticking. I take apart guitars and then I rebuild them. I hoop dance. I crochet tukes and sell them online. Sometimes a hobby comes from inspiration. I saw some people on Instagram and I've seen people in the park and it looked really fun and freeing and it looked really pretty. Uh, I like to do a little bit of acting. When I was younger, I just sort of liked to uh, memorize things that I found funny, like videos or something like that, and they're mostly Monty Python. Sometimes it comes from desperation. Uh, you're carrying with you a unicycle. What's the story? Well, I actually lost my bicycle three times in the past three years. Oh, wow. So I said, F it, I'm going to get this. So since then, I haven't really lost my unicycle that much. Hey, even sometimes it comes out of nowhere. I'm uh, I'm Adam. I'm with uh, the Trilogy of Engineering. I like hanging out with my lads. Uh, I think it's a beers. And, uh, I, uh, I like to collect stamps. What's important is that it makes you, you. Uh, yeah, I uh, like to cook. I also uh, collect bottles, glass bottles, like unique designs. How long have you been collecting? Uh, about two years. To have something you take pride in that gives you satisfaction. Enjoying books. Um, mysteries mostly. Uh, I try to find a long series that really is deep and interesting. And whether you want to make pottery or you want to cosplay, it's easier now than ever thanks to one little tool that helps you figure out where to start. I, I think Google is the best source. <laughs> so whatever it is you enjoy, don't worry about if it's weird or dumb or obscure. It makes you happy, and it makes you you. And that's all that will ever matter. You know, more than half of the people I spoke to began their answers with, well, it's kind of dumb and geeky, but... And that leads me to my point. There is no dumb or geeky when it comes to your happiness. It's your identity. Geek culture isn't underground anymore, so be proud of your enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, some of those pieces sound really interesting. Everybody needs a hobby. My old favorite used to be underwater bubble blowing. You know, one of those hobbies that got mentioned was uh, stamp collecting, which leads us to the final geeky fact, number nine. The world's most valuable stamp sells for $9.5 million. Yeah, I actually just got, well, it was a little while back as a gift, a collector stamp of Martin Short, wonderful Canadian actor and comedian. Yeah, well, that's it for Chris and I on the feed. Yeah, do you think uh, they'll have us back again? You never know. This was kind of rough. But you can never tell anything when you're listening to NR92. Thanks for listening to The Feed. Hear it again on NR92, Sunday nights at 7, and find it online at nr92.com. Bye, bye.